Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, our connections to the figures, and their relevance to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about Twitter. And I'm your co-host Sugu, and we're going to talk about Twitter, the future, Elon Musk, and a whole lot of contemplative talk topics. begin by way of introduction i'm darby harn a freelance writer and editor and an independent author publishers weekly called my novel ever the hero an entertaining debut which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate america you can find more information about me and my books at darbyharn.com i'm also on twitter at darby harn and i'm sugu your co-host i work in it and education and i'm also passionate about writing and story you can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Well, we've put it off for as long as we can. We've really tried avoiding talking about it, but I don't think we can avoid it anymore. Uh, we got to talk about Twitter. We have a Twitter handle. We try to communicate and get our word out on Twitter. And now Twitter is pretty much gone belly up. Um, who saw this coming? So, uh, to kind of put a timestamp on our recording, we are, it is right now November 19th, uh, 2022. And in about two weeks, Elon Musk has purchased Twitter and almost run it entirely into the ground, uh, which is impressive in its own way. It's almost Guinness Book of World, uh, Guinness World Records kind of way. How fast you tank a multi-billion multinational company? Yeah, and we have a Twitter handle, which we kind of have to think about the future of of the shelf warmers podcast on twitter so join us tonight as we try to look at and answer all of these tough questions darb <laughs> how do we start well i think the best place to start is i'm going to assume people are familiar with the story to this point it's one of the biggest stories of the year and it's going to be one of the biggest stories of uh, this moment that we're living in because of Twitter's importance in the culture. We like to complain about Twitter, but um, we complain about it because its uh, gravity within the culture is, is very difficult to quantify. Um, and that, that leads to a lot of bitterness and disappointment for people, for users that will will unpack a little bit certainly at least i'll try to unpack it relative to myself um and then also as an independent author uh, as a user and then you know as far as the podcast in terms of like you know platforming awareness things like that but it's um so it is the 19th of november uh twitter is down is is trending on twitter at the moment twitter is not down uh at the moment twitter is twitter is trending on twitter twitter down is trending on twitter okay um there's sort of a death watch that's been going on the last few days as elon musk has uh, gutted the company, uh, his workforce, um, is generally behaving in ways that in, in a normative environment would be considered possible cause for um, removal. <laughs> uh, removal or let's say, you know, maybe questioning a person's sort of health and wellness. Um, he is running a poll at the moment asking users their opinion on whether or not he should reinstate Donald Trump, the former uh, seditionist and loser president of the United States. 
Um, reinstate as in give him his account back? Yes. Under that what is, grounds? Well, you'd have to ask, ask Elon, but um, that is where his focus is at the moment as the company that uh, he bought. I He didn't spend $44 billion on it. The majority of that money is came from the Saudis. Uh, is in collapse. Um, he also leveraged his twi- uh, Tesla stock to buy Twitter. Leverage Tesla stock. Um, there's a lot to um, unpack there, but I'll, I'll just say maybe to, to set the table a little bit for what we're going to talk about. Um, the There's a lot to be concerned about um with the loss of twitter that ranges all the way from the united states government the department of justice being very concerned about um what is happening within twitter relative to things like national security (laughs) that go down to uh because elon musk and his infinite wisdom the boy genius has uh, gutted the entire uh, workforce that is dedicated to um, managing uh, disinformation and uh, etc. Uh, Twitter is obviously a, along with all the other social media, is an instrument of bad actors who would use it to promote uh, disinformation, and this ranges from things like electoral disinformation to other uh, things that are nefarious he's also gutted um the very first thing he did apparently was to allow the use of certain words including the n-word um so it so you have the fact that you have a a guy who spent 44 billion dollars of someone else's money to just so he could use the n-word that was the most important thing on his ledger that day so Elon Musk just, you know, from starting from a baseline is, you know, is, is a scab. And then now we're cut to two, three weeks later, wherever we are, since he, he acquired the company, is now running a poll asking other people um, whether or not he should reinstate uh, the uh, Trump. Um, and that's reflective of, of Musk's politics. Uh, his misogyny, his racism, his uh, inhumanity, and also his his uh, his self-styled role as a go-between between authoritarian figures, including Vladimir Putin, um, that uh, beg serious questions on a, a geopolitical level. Um, serious questions as to what he is doing at Twitter. Um, and then on a micro level, on a personal level, uh, the destructiveness of the, uh, Twitter is is my as an independent author is my primary means of communication, uh, advertising, marketing for my books. Uh, it is ideal for writing. It, it's writing. Twitter is is you know. What is it? 240 characters? I don't know. Um, it, but it's it's not just myself, but independent authors, traditional um, literary magazines of all stripes, primarily function off of awareness and outreach that they build on Twitter. They are endangered by the loss of Twitter, as am I, as an independent author. The other Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, they don't really work TikTok's a different story that uh, we won't get into today but um they don't really function the same way that the twitter does it the the community that you build through meeting other authors other professionals from other fields just and just readers and, and fans and just the, the the parasocial aspect of it to lose that um, is different. Facebook functions differently. Facebook is mostly people you know in real life. Um, I'm not a big Facebook fan or user. Instagram functions differently. It, it you know, um, as well. Um, Twitter seems to get 
the most successful in terms of building awareness and I, I can speak more to that as we go on but losing those things is is devastating and then also there there is its uh, quality as uh, the global public square um, Twitter has been instrumental since its inception in um, very significant world events um, the Arab Spring, the Ukraine Revolution in 2011, 2012. You'll notice a theme here as we start talking. Um, uh, um, there's, I just interrupted myself, so I forgot what I was going to say. But the uh, Iran at the moment uh, with the, the protests there um, and other places where Twitter is used because of its uh, facility is used by people young and old to get around the uh, impositions of their authoritarian governments. Allows them to organize, it allows them to voice uh, uh, their, their concerns and, and their opinions, and it, it, it allows things that previously were not possible, including real-time reporting on the ground from events as they happen and Twitter more than any other is which is why so many journalists uh, love this platform this platform was made for journalism uh, of every kind um, and then real like I said real-time reporting from inside moments try to imagine Twitter existing at other major events in, in world history um, it the existence of Twitter would alter the course of those events um, by its mere existence. Uh, imagine if Twitter existed on 9-11. Uh, the fact that you would have had people tweeting from inside the planes would have altered the outcome of that day. Twitter is, the importance of Twitter is hard to quantify, like I said, but, so that's kind of <laughs> saying a lot. It's, it's kind of the baseline, I think, of kind of what we're talking about. And I think there's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot to be sad about in terms of losing it. Um, Twitter, of course, not perfect. Uh, wasn't perfect before Elon Musk uh, had his problems. Um, but its functionality, I think, it, and its importance in the parasocial aspect is very, very critical. And to lose it, and to lose it this way, and to, to watch someone clearly... Uh, with intent and uh, malice uh, destroy it from the inside out is is truly disgusting. Yeah, uh, a couple clarifying points. Um, Elon Musk didn't buy Twitter. He was forced to buy Twitter. The U.S. government said that he has to put up because, and this is something that I sent you in a chat as well, he initially said that he would buy Twitter uh, for, I believe his argument was for the purpose of free speech. He calls himself a free speech absolutionist. We're going to get into that term because yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into that term later. But he calls himself a free speech absolutionist. And he um, so he decided he's going to buy Twitter. The board of directors, uh, they said, let's start the merger process. And that's when he backed out. He backed out of the process. But Twitter's board of directors at that point were, I believe they appealed to the U.S. government and said that he basically learned too much of their inner trade secrets or something like that. And that, therefore, he needs to pay it out. The U.S. government agreed. He was forced to buy it. And now it looks like he's tanking it, almost like a spoiled baby tantrum. If he has to buy it, then he's going to destroy it because now he can do whatever he wants with it since it's his. However, as you were pointing out, it's not a coincidence that Mr. Free Speech Absolutionist has been very much limiting left-wing speech but uh, amplifying right-wing speech that's not a coincidence nor is it a coincidence that just before he bought twitter 
uh, he had a meeting with Putin. And I believe after that, he made some sort of tweets about how Putin was right and Ukraine is actually wrong. It's oh, such a weird take uh, for him to take. Like, so he inserted him. He inserted himself into the Ukraine situation by suggesting terms of surrender slash diplomacy. It would be like me doing that. It'd be like mm-hmm. me going onto Twitter and telling uh, President Zelensky, this is what you're going to do to get out of this. President Zelensky right. doesn't give a fuck what I think, and he certainly doesn't give a fuck what Elon Musk thinks. And so Elon Musk, who is uh, filthy with Russians, Saudis, other oligarchs who are, uh, to put it mildly, not good people when it comes to their uh, their behavior and treatment of their own people, and in certain cases, the murder of their political opponents. That's who Elon Musk is, is to be associated, as Donald Trump was. All these people are of a, of a kind, and so his acquisition of Twitter, however he came to it, is part of a... He seems to be an idiot, and we can argue whether or not he is. He seems to be an idiot who is set this thing on fire and doesn't and is throwing gasoline on it instead of water because he doesn't know what he's doing. Another way to look at it is is that he is doing the work of his buddies to destroy a global means of anti-authoritarianism. Yeah. Uh, before we go too far, I do want to mention one thing just for clarity's sake. Uh, something that he does not like to be talked about at all, but I think it's important to, to remember. A lot of people think that Elon Musk made his money through PayPal. <laughs> it's actually been uncovered, especially due to this Twitter merger. Uh, the board of directors uncovered a lot of stuff about him. But one thing that's been known even before that is before PayPal, Elon Musk came from money. Uh, that money came from emeralds in apartheid South Africa. So the dude came from a family of slavers making money off of gems in South Africa to then go on and buy PayPal and now this part I'm not 100% sure on a couple of his companies that he purchased PayPal, Tesla, SpaceX the Boring Company uh, and the Neuralink one a couple of those he purchased and then as part of the purchasing deal wanted the name founder or wanted the title founder attached to his name instead of just buyer. So he is actively trying to cultivate this image that he is the real world Tony Stark. Okay. The reason I bring that up is, um, Slavers tend to be of a certain political persuasion, which fits into the whole authoritarian nonsense. Yeah, there, there's Musk is like all the the people that he's associated with. Trump is a charlatan. He's not, you know. He's nothing. If you dig into that thread that you sent me it's very deep it's very informative we'll share it i think is on in the notes on the pod it's he there's nothing about him as there is with most people like him he, he's a snake oil salesman there's nothing particularly remarkable about him except for his ability to swim through shit uh into the epicenter of our culture um 
there are things, you know, he clearly has an interest in, um, in science and technology. That's clearly paid some dividends in terms of things like Tesla, but really more SpaceX, which is, I think, if he would just focus on that, I think would be great for all of us because um, <laughs> that actually will pay human dividends, human benefit to what he's doing and other people are doing in the same space. But he is who he is. And so he, he's like every other guy of this particular stripe. He needs to be the guy. And we all have to hear about it and we all have to know it. And he has to sort of punch down on everybody he comes across because his ego is microscopic compared to um, his sense and his wisdom. Um, so now he's bought Twitter after what appeared to be early on there, it appeared to all he was trying to do with the engaging with the prospect of t buying Twitter was what I thought was just going to be a pump and dump. Mm -hmm. He's going to float the idea, run up the stock Jack up the price. and sell it. Yeah. He, maybe, maybe he was trapped in the process of doing this by Twitter. They sued to force him to complete and maybe this is all just an accident of someone who is incompetent and unprepared and also a racist and misogynist and etc. Maybe it is as a lot of people fear and some people suspect uh, uh, f intentional that his behavior and the destruction of Twitter's protections and, and insulation against um, people who would misuse it is intentional um either way the result is you know the effective gutting of the site the site functionality has deteriorated in the last week in particular it is, seems to be on the verge of collapse um you know there are maybe the reports vary there are maybe a dozen people actually working within the company at the moment actual people responsible for the functionality of the uh, one of the, you know this massive global thing which requires enormous enormous infrastructure to maintain yeah if i remember um, correctly yesterday he sent all the engineers home or he revoked all their access rights but then he had to ask the engineer to come back to to turn on access rights or something like that so so this is a pattern Bizarre. which is yeah, this is a pattern which has recurred in the last couple of weeks where it, it speaks to possibly this is just someone who is incompetent. He routinely fires, lets go, furloughs people that he then four hours later emails to come back into the building. Yesterday, Friday, he closed the building until Monday, prompting a lot of people to suspect that this was the end, only then to text or email people to come in because he was going to work until midnight. That, that's, that, that suggests... You know, that's a that's a big uh, exhibit in the evidence as far as him being utterly incompetent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, he's a he's a reactive uh, person who does dumb things and then realizes, oh, wait, I can't fire the entire workforce of a major global company because then it won't work. <laughs> so would you please come in? I expect you to be I expect you to if, if you're not in San Francisco where Twitter is headquartered, then I expect you to fly in. He's found that there are limits to his persuasion because uh, the folks he didn't fire have resigned and they've told him where he can he can put it. All of that collectively obviously leaves the site vulnerable and uh, in danger. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, you know, um, we're living in a moment of varying, we're living in varying moments. <laughs> But we're living in a moment of uh, absolute greed, and um, that's populated by people of such ridiculous wealth that they can do things like this. Um, and and we're not doing enough in the states. I'll just speak to the states to mitigate people who are who own. We're not doing enough to mitigate monopolies. We in the twenty early twentieth century, the United States was very anti-monopoly. 
um, broke up a lot of uh, monopolies in the United States. And then we're now into a phase here about 100 years later where we're back into the same place in the tech space. Very important that the United States, especially with things like Twitter and Facebook, which are uh, disinformation vehicles for bad actors um, when it comes to our election integrity and our national security. Uh, nothing is more important right now than that um, because especially when it comes to things like Ukraine, which has been invaded by a, a quote, superpower, unquote, um, that's primary weapon is uh, disinformation via social media. Um, it's very important uh, for that. And also, it's also important, I'll say, that as we, in the United States, we protect freedom of speech, but also we protect the rights of uh, people uh, within public and private spaces. You can't say the N-word and, and just, you know, uh, in public spaces. It's maybe time to start thinking of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as public spaces in the same sense. That, uh, you know, big argument we've had is like, why, you know, ask these companies, why do you allow this hate speech on your platform? Well, it's free speech. We can't monitor. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying. You're not, you're not, you, you're, you, you're a business and you're not the arbiter of how people use it. But this is maybe a good opportunity to, to, to maybe consider that we should treat this space, which is so important culturally, the same way we treat our other public spaces. And that's complicated. Twitter's a global company, right? That has global users. So it's not just to say you can impose United States federal law onto a global thing. But that being said, considering what's happening right now, there needs to be consideration of how this thing, this global thing operates within the United States and other countries relative to its citizens because of the dangers the opportunities, yes, but the dangers it represents. Uh, I I remember being absolutely astonished and amazed uh, with the Arab Spring, uh, the Arab Spring, when that came out. I I thought it was incredible, and and I like I'm always reminded of uh, what Douglas uh, <clears throat> what Douglas Adams predicted about communication with the internet. He was talking about major societal revolutions from a one-to-one -one communication level, a one-to-many, many-to-one, and now with Twitter, it's a many-to-many -many communication. Um, and the absolute sheer power of it, especially as it comes to de democracy and uh, freedom of speech and and left-wing movements how many how many left-wing movements were coordinated due to twitter i mean like social movements as well me too was a hashtag black lives matter was a hashtag like you don't consider or you don't think of these as movements that started in twitter because they were hashtags they were trends but that's what started these movements of civil rights and you know one of the things that we you and i have talked about before is that uh this era that we're in now is like the death throes of the uh the ruling class the aristocracy or the the conservative party even well maybe but this is what the death throes look like where they are rigging the game as much as they can, where they're destroying things as much as they can. Twitter, and I'm not maybe suggesting this, but what would happen if the U.S. government, for starters, nationalized Twitter? <laughs> it would right? be bad. Yeah, it'd be horrible. But at the same time, is it better in the hands of a private company? No. 
So what do you do, especially with the infrastructure? You can't nationalize it. You can't keep it private as a public space. So <laughs> how? What do you do? What do you do? Um, you create protections as we do in the public space, in the real world, in the practical world. But you start from a baseline understanding that you have no constitutional right to Twitter. Okay. Um, and if it goes away tomorrow, it goes away tomorrow as have other uh, social media platforms, you know, that a uh, MySpace, pick one. This is different because Twitter, its impact on the culture is so massive. Um, I also don't think that uh, if Twitter died tomorrow that its replacement would be very far behind. The miracle of Twitter isn't its technology or code. Its code is relatively simple. It's very simple. Very simple. It can be replicated very easily. That's not the magic of it. The magic of it is the what happens, right? The kinetic the global... The user base. The user base that you were talking about. It's important to know what you were saying about how this functions in democracies and democratic movements. Uh, the reason that this ground swells in these movements, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, uh, etc., in the last several years have been so prevalent, and I'll just speak to the states, um, has been in large measure because of social media writ large, but Twitter in particular. It's also important to note that almost all of the Republican talking points these days, woke, uh, canceled, these are all terms that they appropriated from Twitter. Mm -hmm. and, and specifically uh, segments of Twitter, including black Twitter, um, which of which one of the most grievous things about losing Twitter is losing these sort of um, worlds within the multiverse of Twitter, black Twitter, Irish Twitter, which is a thing, which is a real thing as, as people found out uh, the day that uh, Queen Elizabeth died. Um, I'll leave that. I'll leave that <laughs> yep. uh, to be, uh, to be unexplored. Um, but the the I think what we're realizing I, I this is my thought you let me know what you think and folks who are listening will let us know what you think we fear Twitter and social media the prevalence and proliferation of hate speech hate mongering and rightly so but I think what we've discovered is that these things are actually not so much they're, they're vehicles for them but that's not the real, they're not, the real success in these is the proliferation of free speech, of democratic thought and value. We see it across the world in the last 10 plus years. We see it in our elections here in the States in the last couple cycles. We're seeing it right now. The problem with the conservative base in the States is that they're speaking to a smaller and smaller base. And they're doing that because they're purging their own people very quickly. Carrie Lake in Arizona, a Republican candidate for governor who lost. She was shocked to find out that she lost. And this is after she in her own rallies would have John McCain, quote, John McCain Republicans, unquote, identify themselves, raise their hands. And then when they would, she would tell them to get out of her rally. So this loser was stunned to find out that she lost Republican voters after kicking them out of her own rallies. The same thing is happening in the social media space. You're speaking to a smaller and smaller audience because you're purging people who don't fit in into your fascistic core model. What The Democratic side of it opens the doors it opens the windows to everybody and that comes with its own problems and we're not we won't do balls and strikes in terms of what's good and bad about twitter and when i mean it comes with its own problems i mean you know when you go down the rabbit hole of twitter there's a lot of people on both sides of the equation the political persuasion that 
like to gatekeep and they like to that feel very familiar regardless of what side you're on that that's that's sort of uh deep twitter drama but um these platforms and twitter in particular have allowed positive cultural change george floyd the passing of george floyd the murder of george floyd one of the reasons that that caught fire and then the protests that caught fire immediately afterwards was because of social media, that video that was shared and went around the world like a shot um, in, a, in large part because of Twitter. Now, Facebook doesn't quite work that way because you're sharing it into a closed space. You're sharing it into your space. Instagram doesn't quite work that way because Instagram, to my mind, and I'm, I'm willing to be wrong, Instagram sort of is sort of things you want to look at, right? Pretty pretty pictures of pretty people and things, flowers, cats, you name it. Um, Twitter, here it is, throwing it out in the street, the street comes and picks it up. Its function and value as a democratic uh, method of promoting, encouraging, sustaining democratic, small d democratic values and voices is immeasurable and far outweighs, in my estimation, you let me know what you think, the other side. As a point of uh, proof or support for what you're saying, you mentioned George Floyd earlier and you said that it went went around the world like a shot. There were protests here in Japan about an American killed by police in in America, right? Japan has nothing to do with it. The population of Japan is 2% uh, foreign. That's it. Of the entire population living in Japan, only 2% are foreign. Of that 2%, uh, I want to say something like 20%. I'm not entirely sure of that. But less than half are Americans. So less than half of 2% of population were affected, or not affected, uh, were Americans. And, and yet, that kill, that killing launched protests multiple protests in in japan and japan japanese people tend to be fairly apolitical at least in public even that got through them and now i see on japanese twitter and i say now not because i'm not because it's a new thing but because i'm paying attention to it because i see it uh, Japanese Twitter is full of global political discussion that you, like for me, I'm surprised to see it, just considering how apolitical Japanese discourse is. But Japanese Twitter is full of it. There is something hugely impactful about this many-to-many -many communication. And just like how if your vote doesn't matter, why are Republicans striving and fighting so hard to suppress it? If Twitter yeah. is not valuable for Democratic voices, for left-wing speech, why are all these authoritarians itching at and doing their best to get rid of it or to ruin it or to destroy it or to take over it or to appropriate language from it it's there's a lot in the macro and the geopolitical that we could talk about and and i, I don't know if we want to get into all of it I, maybe just for myself suffice to say we're living in a in a moment a, a, a period of global authoritarianism mm -hmm. where the advance of authoritarianism is strident and uh, frightening. Uh, 
it is, I think, a response and an attack against a global, plur- uh, what would you call it, plurality. There's a global mindset that has emerged in, since the, in the beginning in the 20th century with the, as we came into the concept of a global society, international trade and commerce, things that, you know, tourism. But now, because of social media, we're connected in our rooms wherever we are. Japan, we're having this podcast exists because of this technology, which is uniting two different parts of the world. And those walls, those physical walls, but also the political walls between those spaces collapse. And mm-hmm. so you have, in, you have in our age the emergence of the first true humanism, human collective thought, which is why people in Japan are rightly horrified and motivated by the murder of George Floyd and on and on. And you have in reaction to it your typical authoritarian need to control you can't control you can't control human history is the is this the same cycle over and over again which is the failure of despots and rulers and authoritarian figures to control their their masses they either get displaced or they get disposed of right it's human history same thing is happening in the social media space elon musk is a typical despot in, ter- in human history terms. He's bought a company that he very likely will destroy. Will he kill this discourse that we're talking about? No. Something will emerge out of it. It'll go somewhere else. It'll rebuild itself. It'll reconstitute. It will. And and that's... it's. I, I have faith in that, knowing that this is going to be... This next sequence here is going to suck for everybody. Um, But one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately in the last few weeks, maybe, I don't know, the last few years, is is a great Charlie Chaplin film, The Great Dictator, Mm -hmm. uh, where he gives that iconic speech at the end. He's sort of dressed up as Hitler. But he gives a speech at the end, which is one of the great speeches in cinema, and he says as part of it that the 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 misery that is upon us is but the passing of greed, and that's what this is. Uh, this is the passing of greed. This moment that we're living in. Um, passing in what way? What do you mean? Um, as I just said, that this is you know the the greed of men. The greed of people like Musk and Putin and Trump who would impose their smallness on the largeness of the world ultimately will fail. Trump's a loser. Trump's a three-time loser. Three? Musk, yeah, he, he, he's, lost, he's lost three cycles in a row now. He lost oh, the House in okay. 2018. He lost the presidency 2020. And he lost, he lost the cycle here in 2022. And he'll lose in 24 if we get to that point. We'll see. Um, Putin is a loser. Regardless of the power he holds, he's a quote-unquote superpower who can't, uh, I, I don't think has the political or military ability to knock over a Starbucks. Um... Musk is a loser despite his wealth and obvious influence um, because he's turned himself into a joke rather than being someone who could take his wealth and influence and interests. He has, he has legitimate interests in, in science and technology. Rather than take that and use that to the benefit and the good of people and himself, he, I don't give a fuck if he owns three or four private jets, Rather than do that, he'd rather his legacy be destruction, division, incompetence on a scale 
unrivaled in modern human history. Only because his, his wealth affords him that. True. And that's his choice. Um, I just want to say, before we get too far from it, um, in terms of like just the, the you know, you know, it, it, uh, there's a lot to talk about with Musk and Twitter writ large, but um, the the personal aspect of this, the part that is so, like I said, for me, for me as a writer, this is my primary means of awareness. So it has the professional function, and tw- Twitter, as a lot of uh, traditionally published authors like to say frequently, um, Twitter doesn't sell you books. And that's true, but Twitter pays in something that uh, a lot of uh, magazines and uh, content providers like to call awareness. Uh, exposure. Exposure. Um, it pays enormously in that because uh, just for me, I'm, I'm nobody in the world. I'm just a little person. Uh, speck of dust on the beach speck of sand on the beach there as far as my writing and I'm about to cross some pretty major thresholds in my work in terms of things like sales and and things like that uh, with my books and part of that is due to Twitter and part of it is due to the fact that I'm able to have a platform that I can put my stuff out into the world and and most importantly it's you just don't put your book out there and readers flock to it what happens is, is you, you discover people and they discover you. And very often it's people who are in your same field or adjacent fields. And I've met and discovered such wonderful people through Twitter. Just, you know, uh, personalities. I've interacted with celebrities. Uh, David Mitchell, author, one of my favorite authors I've interacted with on Twitter. Kelly Link, Sinead O'Connor responded to my marriage proposal back in the day when Twitter was fun. She was soliciting marriage proposals. I remember when you emailed me or told yeah. me <laughs> yeah. about that. I heard from Sinead O'Connor. I had a long conversation with her. Like, what, what you did? What now? <laughs> probably, probably the apex of my life. Um, <laughs> uh, Sarah Blasco, uh, Ava DuVernay responded to one of my tweets of, uh, Things like that, but then, but I just met so many wonderful people. Um, you know, you discover podcasts, you discover comic book artists, you you discover uh, other, you know, other people, and so that enrich your life and um, create a, you know, there are people that be, that are you know that you become interested in what they're doing and their product in some cases or their content or just them as people and then they become interested in you and then that that they share you share and so you, your awareness of you what you're doing sort of increases through that but it's 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 not um that's not the goal of it but that that's just kind of what happens is you know this awareness sort of builds around you and you interact with more and more people. And, and then people are so nice. I, I tweeted maybe a month or two ago, I forget. I was having a bad day and I, I tweeted something along the lines of that. I was having a bad day and things are stressful because it's, um, I'm suffering from long COVID and I, I, you know, I have an ailing parent and so many people, you know, responded so uh positively and and, and encouraging and uh, this is very kind um you know uh and you get to know people and i'm very fond of and familiar with people that i've never met physically and and may never um on twitter uh much more so than the other ones facebook or instagram i don't really have uh you know, on Instagram, there I don't really have those kind of relationships. They're more just sort of, like I said, things you you look at, and and um, Facebook is people you kind for me anyway, people you know in life, and that it's really way of sort of sort of like uh, everyone that you know in life, their open diary, right? Um, that's kind of what it feels like. Um, 
but Twitter is 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 it, they're just it's like this place that you're walking through that just has infinite doors, and you just keep walking through them, and then there's another space, and more people, and then another space, and then more people, and you meet such lovely people, and discover new things, and then you have the journalistic aspect of it, which for me as a writer has always been super appealing. I love. The real-time journalism, just as a writer, I love the writing thing. And then one thing I've realized in the last couple of years is that in ways that I hadn't considered before, the being autistic, Twitter was, I've talked about somewhere on the pod, I forget, but I one of the things that being autistic sort of leads to with myself is there's a lot sort of going on in the head. And, and so in conversation, I'm not always great, which makes the pod uh, any podcast I do difficult because everything I, I say uh, uh, has to be measured, which leads to you probably hear sometimes because I hear it now because I listen back to these. Um, there'll be weird sharpness or, or cuts or stops like that uh, in my voice because I'm I'm uh, literally writing the break on everything I say. Twitter allows you the opportunity to consider and think and manage what you say. Doesn't have a delete button, but um, or an edit button, I should say. But more than the other ones, it allows you the, that that fo- that concision. It was what was it? One hundred twenty-eight characters. Now it's two forty. Mm-hmm. Um, that concision. I don't know what it that, is now I just remember it used to be one hundred twenty-eight. Yeah, that clarity of thought and that also there's another aspect of it to being autistic, which is the masking part, which is that um, rather than go on to Twitter and be someone else, as people tend, tend, people can do on social media, they sort of go on and they sort of create a, a para uh, persona. Um, what I found is the opposite. Is I, I found that on through Twitter is that I, I can... Because of the filter of Twitter, um, I can go and be myself, and so, uh, and that's a process. Because, like I said, I, we talked about it somewhere on the pod, my sort of journey uh, through understanding myself and as an autistic person. Um, that's a journey, and so um, one thing, as I've had people note in my tweets, as as we go forward, is is they become increasingly less structured. <laughs> And so, and that's because I become more comfortable with, you know, uh, the voicing the things. But so that part of it, just to say, that part of it is uh, invaluable. And to lose that is dreadful. Um, it's also helped me reach out and meet people within the autistic community. It's helped me discover aspects of the autistic community and being autistic which were not available to me if i was going through this process pre-twitter pre-social media i would have been left with a lot of encyclopedias and textbooks and things i would check out from the library which would have been no help at all because to this day they they cling a lot to very antiquated ideas about autism and autistic people and things like that, that would have either been discouraging to me or, or destructive. So um, social media is the factor in my discovery of myself as an autistic person, because it's through meeting other autistic people that I, I came to a, a helpful and healthy understanding of who I am. So to lose that, this aspect of it in Twitter is unfortunate and I've gotten to know a lot of autistic people on Twitter and they're, you know, um, that I hopefully, if this thing burns down that I am able to keep up with. And to that point, um, figuring out how to maintain these relationships and maintain this, you know, what would you call it? Your platform or whatever is a, post Twitter is difficult and something that we're all thinking about. Yeah. Well, and to that, that brings us up to the big question for us. What do we do with the shelf warmers podcast on Twitter? I, I think, you know, I like for myself, my own personal Twitter account, like I, for the, I'm not leaving. 
So I would just say, I, I think, it, you know, it continues until, you know, the Titanic sinks. You know, you're not abandoning ship, I don't think. Um, but I think it's probably helpful for everyone to consider what your means of outreach is post-Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a couple different methods um, for myself as an author. So we have a couple different methods. Let me start with the pod. We have a couple different methods. We have the Twitter account. We're not on other social media. It probably benefits us to get on to one of the others. Probably Instagram, probably the best. Um, I suppose I could turn on some filters and take some uh, heavily edited photos of myself posing. Instagram is probably the easiest for us because it's it, it it's just really sharing and, and and awareness and it you know the really that's all Twitter is is just hey we have a new episode, and it's just for, for Instagram it's just this is the, you know we have a, a a tile for every episode a little image that is corresponds to the episode so like our most recent episode is Black Panther so you have an image of Wakanda forever that's just Instagram. And then it's, Hey, check out our black Panther episode. Right. It's very simple. And it's probably Mm -hmm. the best one for us. Um, that's one route, you know, for myself, it's like, I have, you know, I have my website, darbyharn.com. Um, I have a newsletter, please subscribe to my newsletter. If you care at anything about myself and my books, if you're interested in learning more about them, um, you can do that through the website. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Really, Twitter, though, is the place where I'm most active with that stuff. One thing I've thought about myself is trying to figure out. I thought I was thinking about this before all this, but I was, you know, I was thinking about now, especially now, it's like, you know, how do I maintain this? Uh, I, I will say Mary Spender uh, was, was a big sort of factor in my thinking on this. Um, how do I maintain that, that, that relate that one-to-one relationship with people who, so Twitter is sort of the public space. Everybody's there. They're not really there for you, but those people that are there for you on Twitter, how do you maintain that relationship and how do you maintain, how do you build that and in what ways? And so I don't really know what that is, you know, I, I have the newsletter. I'm not great at newsletters. One thing I've gotten comfortable with is the podcasting and sort of the dialogue, and one thing I really like from people uh, like Mary and Sarah Benincasa and Jay Swanson uh, are people who they're YouTubers, but they're also podcasters and they're people who sort of have a, a way of connecting directly to their fans via, a, a, a you know, a newsletter, a traditional newsletter or like a pod newsletter of, you know, uh, like that. And so. I think that's something I'm interested in myself personally, um, you know, as a way of sort of uh, connecting and evolving uh, with people who are interested in myself and my work. Um, I don't quite know what shape that takes yet, but it's something I'm thinking about, you know, as I go into the new year as well. Um, one thing we don't have is a web, a dedicated website. We've been talking about that for a while. We need to do that. Um, you know, those types of things. Um, it's just, it's just fine. You know, a lot of podcasts have websites that they don't use <laughs> because your, your primary means of engagement is what it's Twitter. So it's basically pushing you back to 2007 live journal is what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Resetting, defaulting back to type. So we'll figure it out. We'll get there. Hopefully, hopefully it all doesn't burn down. Hopefully if it does, then hopefully something better emerges in its place. Hopefully we all get through it and keep up with each other. Yeah. We will keep uh, you, our audience informed about where you can find us. Uh, Be it twitter be it uh uh instagram maybe we should start our own youtube channel youtube is interesting i you know um i don't think of myself as sort of uh uh natural for youtube but um there's lots of different ways you can do youtube and another person i really enjoy on YouTube is Justin Hawkins, who is the lead singer for The Darkness. Uh, if you guys are familiar with them, 
um, Justin's YouTube channel, which is very successful, is just him sitting in front of a camera with a microphone talking to you. There's no pyrotechnics. Like Mary, Mary does a lot of sort of, she does interesting stuff, uh, staging and editing and right, things like that. Justin is just talking to you. And he's, he's, he has a personality and he's interesting and warm and funny and smart and, um, and, you know, insightful. So that works. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be, there's the Lindsay Alice's of the world who I really love, but I, I couldn't do something like that. Um, and then there's, you know, the other side of it, Justin Hawkins that are very simple, very low fi but yet it's successful because what it really is at the end of the day whatever form and whatever platform is it's engagement right mm -hmm. it, it's dialogue and, and how does that work and so you know for someone like myself where that's not natural it's it's finding the right space and method i should say it's finding the right method um because it's you know the you're overwhelmed in the social media space with this is how you do it to be successful or to be something. But what you need to do in any case is to be you. Yeah. And that, that may take a little bit of figuring out, you know? Yeah. That's so, kind that's of okay. always the case though, right? Like the people who are really successful in something tend to do it on their own terms. But the irony is if you follow X, Y, or Z path, none of that it's not a mathematical formula you can't plug in variables and then equal success it's you a lot of it is your own individual path that you have to take yeah there, there's so many you know there there's so many factors to it you're the biggest factor in everything that you do and you can adopt things that other people do to success or failure but the biggest thing is what what it what works for you? And I, I, this comes up all the time in writing and publishing. And one thing I say um, occasionally to, to folks who are struggling in publishing and writing is, what do you want to do? Right? Do you want to be successful? There are, there are clearly marked paths to success. Whether or not you achieve that is actually out of your hands. But if you just want to be famous and make money, there are methods to, to, to doing that. But what do you want to do, right? What makes you happy? What is going to be, what's going to be the way that, you know, you have to define success for yourself. And, you know, I, the biggest reward in life is finding success on your own merits, but then also on your own measure. You know, uh, I say that having just ripped Elon Musk, who um, I think considers himself very successful, and by most measures he is, and in his own mind, he's he's probably uh, has a dangerously inflated ego. But for a person like myself, who is nobody in the world, um, you how you define success is, is very important because you live in a world that is that has 8 billion people in it and would seem overwhelming and the kind of success that I think a lot of us have in our head is there are 18 year olds who have 20 million TikTok followers um, that's success but it, that's not success that is of interest to someone like me right so, you know, you got all these people like, well, you're nobody unless you have X amount of TikTok followers or X amount of Twitter followers. I don't really, I don't have very many Twitter followers. I have a lot more than I did at the outset. And I'm strangely at this stage here as Twitter is in collapse, gaining more every day. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. But if you are who you are and you're doing you and you're being true to yourself and your own voice, you're going to find a way and then hopefully people respond to that. And then if they do, that's great. That's amazing. Right. That's lovely. Yeah. You can't really, you can't do better than that. 
you know yeah absolutely all right to our audience we'll keep you informed on what we're doing uh where you can find us we we have some growing pains to think about that'll do it for today folks thanks again for joining us once again i'm darby harn and you can find more information about me and my books at my website darbyharn.com i'm also on twitter at darby harn sugu how can they find out more about us in the podcast you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at Shelf Warmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>